Well, this morning, I have the privilege of uh, introducing you to our guest speaker in a moment, but I do want to share a little bit about who we are as, as a church that's a, a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And if, if you're new here or you're not familiar with, um, that is our denomination that we're a part of. Um, that it's called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And this actually didn't start out as a denomination in the beginning. It was a collection of churches that were uh, just passionate about gathering together to, to send missionaries out. Uh, and eventually later on, it became a separate denomination. Um, but part of what makes the Alliance, Christian Missionary Alliance, different is that uh, from the national level, we have something called the Great Commission Fund, uh, which we highlight several times throughout the year. And that's a, a mechanism for people to give uh, to one central location in our, in our national office that then, then sends out what we call international workers all around the world. Um, and it's just a different, uh, a different strategy than what a lot of uh, different denominations, how they do missions work. Um, and, and this is from their website. What's the problem is that there's uh, inequality to gospel access, that around the world, uh, it's, you can't find churches like, like you do in State College. You can't just walk down the street. And so what's the answer? Uh, they say to go make disciples of all nations, as Jesus says. And so this is what our, what our denomination does for over 130 years, and right now we have over 700 international workers overseas. 80% of them live in the least reached areas, uh, and we're currently in over 65 different countries in the world. And as, as Mike will share later, like our heart is not to go and, you know, be like, hey, look at us, we're doing missions overseas, but it's to start the church in other countries and then hand, hand the leadership over. And there's many countries around the world where the alliance has then pulled out their missionaries because there's a thriving community of believers that are now led by pastors from their nation. Uh, they have national leadership over, uh, over top of the churches that are there as well. Um, and it's just an amazing thing to see uh, the Alliance missions at work. Uh, and there, there's uh, several different things that, that the Alliance does that they are, you know, we are part of, uh, you know, if it's a a place where you can't just go out and be a missionary, so like some Muslim countries, that they have a branch that's called Marketplace Ministries, where they, you know, set up businesses and share the gospel through their business relationships, and in uh, that way, where they have to work more under the ground. Um, if you remember when we had here, he's like, we couldn't put that online because of the type of work that he, that. Uh, oh, I shouldn't have even said his name. <laughs> oh gosh, erase that one from the from the book. So the guest we had previously, uh, that that uh, that we couldn't put the things online because of the work he's doing uh, in certain areas of the world. So uh, they they have also another branch um, that's specifically about church planning. And then today we have Mike, who's part of Envision, which is part of their uh, short-term uh, missions. Uh, that he's a site that they've been working uh, with church plants over there, but then it's also an opportunity to, to raise up and to train the next generation, um, which may not be, it doesn't mean next generation like young folk. I think it's just the next level, whether you, no matter what age you are, um, God might move in your heart and say, you know what, there's something here uh, for me. So my hope for today, it's twofold, that we would be, you know, encouraged by the word that he has to share with us, that, uh, by the, the stories of, of what's happening. Uh, Mike is in, with Alyssa and their family, been serving over in Berlin, in Germany, but uh, actually he'll um, 
when he, he shared this morning with me, when he got off the plane, uh, he was greeted by Don and Sarah Jones, who are part of our, our congregation now that they were serving over there for years. So it's a, a continuation of the ministry that they were a part of in Germany uh, as well. So some, some ties to, if you say, well, why is he here? Well, there's close ties uh, to our church family, and now I'm so excited that he could be here uh, his first time visiting with us. But again, he's part of Envision, and uh, so part of that is to be encouraged by what he has to say, but part of it is to like stir up in us is God maybe calling someone here to take a step of faith uh, to go and to be a part of, of, of missions, whether it's a short-term trip, a 10-day trip. Uh, Envision does uh, internships as well that maybe you have a year coming up and you don't know whether you're graduating or finishing something and you have a year like, I don't know what I might be doing. Oh, maybe God's calling you to take a year and be an intern at an Envision site. So we kind of put that uh, in, in God's hands, that he, what he might do uh, through times like this. So at this time, uh, let's give a warm welcome to uh, Mike Piccinato. Thanks, Mike. Oh, thanks, Aiden, so much for the introduction. That does a lot of the advertising work for me in advance, and now I don't have to even think about that. So, um, and thank you to, to those of you, as, and especially you as a church, as you give to the Great Commission Fund. Our family couldn't be in Germany without the work that, that you guys are doing, without the, the finances that you give, without the prayers that you have lifted up on our behalf. And so we're just really, really grateful for you as a church family. You know, current research shows that it takes somewhere between 0.9 and 7 seconds to make a good first impression. And so I realize that for some of you, I'm already, I'm already running a little behind the game. I have round glasses and a funny mustache, and you're trying to figure out, is that Mr. Monopoly or Dr. Robotnik or Kaiser Wilhelm II? Uh, so let me try to overcome that potentially negative first impression and tell you a little about myself. My dad was in the Air Force. We moved around a lot while I was growing up. His last duty assignment was at Minot Air Force Base in Minot, North Dakota. I graduated from Minot High, attended Minot State University for several years, studied computer science there, and then uh, decided they needed to quit ignoring God's call on my life, transferred to Crown College. And um, while I was studying at Crown College, I met my wife, and Alyssa, my wife, Alyssa, and shortly after Alyssa met me, she checked, she wanted to make sure I fit into what she felt God's long-term plan for her life was. And so we hadn't been, been talking long uh, before she said, hey, I really need to know if God calls you overseas, I was studying youth ministry, if God calls you overseas, would you be willing to go? She had come in as a missions major, uh, she was studying elementary education, had every intent to go overseas, and she wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to derail that. And, uh, and I said, Yes, yes, but um, if God calls you to stay, would you be willing to stay? She hesitantly agreed, and that kind of put us on, on some level of working relationship. We dated for a year, we were engaged for a year, and then we got married and, uh, and, and stayed in the U.S. working in ministry uh, and started our family. I was the youth pastor at a church for six years and then lead pastor at another church for 10 years, both in Minnesota. And one of God's sense of humor moments, we went on a vision trip to Berlin. We met Don and Sarah there, and I felt God was speaking to me on a bridge. I could take you to the bridge in Berlin if you ever come to see us and show you where I felt God was saying, hey, Mike, this is home. I talked with Alyssa about that. She thought I was nuts. 
Um, we were there for a week, seven days from start to finish. We were there and uh, with none of our kids, just Alyssa and I. And she's like, hey, home is where our kids are, which is not here. And, and then that God started this four-year process where I was now asking Alyssa if she would be willing to go as God was calling us. Um, we, we had started a family in Berlin. We have three kids. One of them, Joshua, is with us today. Quick picture of our family. Uh, family on the right is, is 2011. We came in 2012, and we were having to get our first prayer cards made. It was the picture from our first prayer cards. And then on the left is our family this last January. We showed up in Berlin July 13th of 2012. We landed after a long day of travel with all three of our kids, with 12 suitcases and a guitar. The Jones met us there at the airport. You can see Don just on the left-hand side of that picture, wheeling our suitcases away. And uh, we crashed overnight at a friend of the Jones apartment. And man, I tell you what, I thought I had life and ministry figured out after 16 years of church ministry. And I think the last time I can comfortably say I really knew what I was doing was sometime in May of 2012 before I left the church that we had been pastoring at. And... Um, we got settled in our neighborhood in an apartment that Sarah found for us. We went to language school. We learned German for two years. We helped the church plant that we were a part of. And then as we finished language school, the church that we had been working with asked us to help them get a ministry center up and running. So with the help of the Alliance, thank you to your great commission giving, we were able to rent some space across from where the church met on Sunday mornings. We started to get this space set up for children's ministries and for some other ministries of the church. And the biggest challenge we ended up facing was, was not getting the space set up. The biggest challenge was the church was in the middle of town. The people of the church lived a bit further away, and, and they often had so much happening in their daily life that they didn't really have the capacity to get involved in the ministries at this ministry center, and, and so it was sitting there empty most of the time. So we thought, well, we don't, we don't want our space to just sit empty. We started walking around the community and noticed that there were more than 30 art galleries within walking distance of our space. The church had been doing some work with art in the past, and we decided, well, hey, let's start exhibiting art, which sounds easy, but it's really not. It wasn't easy to hang art on the walls during the week and then turn the space over for children's ministries. Artists get a little nervous when they think about kids with snacks around the artwork that they've invested their life in. And, and, and exhibiting art also is just so much more than just hanging pictures on the wall. We were way over our heads. We really needed help, and luckily we got it in the shape of a German artist who was really skeptical towards faith. She had no problem sharing her mind, which just kind of reinforces that she's German, and she was really, <laughs> she was really, but she was willing to help us do our gallery work well. And so over the next two and a half years, we worked together. We held 17 exhibits. We exhibited more than two dozen artists from 20 different countries. We were gallery of the month twice for one Berlin art magazine. Uh, we built this great artistic community while we were also involved in a church plant that the Alliance had been partnered with for almost 10 years. Everything was looking amazing. And then shortly before we came home on our home assignment in 2017, everything fell apart. 
We were preparing to leave, and the church, we thought, that was ready to lead itself without overseas workers, which, as Aidan said, is the way the Alliance loves to do ministry. We love to help raise up and train up leaders and turn things over to them, and the church had a German pastor, had German-speaking elders. We were slowly stepping out of ministries. They were leading their own Sunday school programs, but then they lost the lease on the space that they were renting downtown, and change always creates stress and tension. It did in this situation as well, and then they knew that we were, we were leaving and they were going to be losing some of the help of Alliance International Workers. There was some vision conflict between the pastor and some of the other congregation and the church plant began to fail. It blew up one December, Alyssa and I were out of town. We came back and pretty much found out that a lot of the people in the church had decided they weren't going to come back anymore. The church had been paying 25% of our rental costs and then the gallery shut down as well. And most of the people in the church landed well, praise God, in new congregations. We felt like we had, at that moment, like the opposite of the Midas touch. Instead of everything we were touching turning to gold, everything we had been involved in had turned to dust. Came back really discouraged for our first home assignment. Um, with the exception of one ministry that had started taking place in Berlin, the Lions had responded heroically to the 2015 Arabic Spring. More than 60,000 Syrian refugees had come to Berlin. Picture on the, on the right is a picture of one of the container villages that they had erected as temporary housing. They're just shipping containers converted into apartments for the refugee families. And the picture on the left is a picture you may recognize Daryl Fennessy in the back of that picture. Daryl and several other people came to Berlin and we started talking about what can we do to respond to this need of Arabic-speaking refugees as they come. And Daryl and his wife Cheryl said, hey, we'll come and serve our last two years of ministry before we retire, as if the Fennessy's could ever retire. But we'll spend our last two years of ministry serving and launching a ministry center and they got this ministry up and running in Berlin. They retired in 2018, and after our last home assignment, Alyssa and I came back in July of 2018. The Fennessy's had left in May. We were the only workers focusing on German church planting, and we were asked to lead a new team called the Berlin German Arab Team with ministries in two languages. We didn't know anyone on the team. A month after we landed, another family joined us. A year after that, another family joined us. Six months later, a single lady joined us. Six months after that, two new families joined us. And we quickly grew to a team of more than 30 people with no common language. Our Syrian pastor couldn't speak English. Most of us couldn't speak Arabic, and everyone except Alyssa and I and the Syrian pastor and his wife were learning German. I was writing weekly emails in two languages. Our team meetings were taking place in three languages. We were just kind of stumbling this lurching, growing ship along. We had had a five-year review a few months after we landed and realized that nothing that had been in place five years previously was still happening in Berlin, and most of what we had planned was no longer feasible. Uh, the Fennessy's are a really tough couple to replace, and so the Arabic ministry was struggling to figure out how do we keep moving forward. Alyssa and I were asked to step back from German planting, church planting, to help the Arabic project survive, and then COVID hit. It was a really rough couple of years. It was a rough everywhere for ministry. And in the midst of all of this, praise the Lord, the Arabic church continued to grow. We were able to get two German-speaking house churches up and running. One English house church was planted. And God just continued to grow our team. 
We had invited, our team had invited Envision to launch a site in Berlin, especially with the short-term teams that were trying to come and minister, and, and we just wanted a way to invest well in the short-term teams that were coming. Envision is this branch, as Aiden was saying, of the global outreach of the Alliance that focuses on identifying and developing that next generation of innovative, missional-focused leaders and engaging them in short-term experiences. And as we were sitting down with the international site developer in March of 2019, he started saying, hey, chances are good that you already know who the next site coordinator will be. He's probably somebody you've met before and started describing what this person would look like. And then Alyssa and I are thinking, oh my goodness, he's describing like our dream job. And so we ended up uh, applying to be the site coordinators for Envision. And in April of 2021, after our stumbling, lurching ship of a team had started to have people who could fluently speak German and could lead itself up and running, we launched Envision Berlin. And the reason I'm explaining all of this is because in many, many ways, Alyssa and I are continuing to work on and figuring out what we're talking about today in this sermon series on how we change the world. We're trying to figure out how do we do that where God has planted us? And how do we focus in especially on the sermon topic for this morning, which is gospel boldness? How are we people who can be bold with this good news of the gospel that Jesus has given us? I'm going to read the text in a minute, but I want to make sure that I kind of set the context for the passage of Scripture today because you guys have been working your way through the book of Acts, talking about God's invitation for us to join Him in His plan to change the world, and you've read about the Ascension, you've read about Pentecost, you've read two weeks ago about how a lame man who, who just wanted money, wanted these alms, received the healing touch of Jesus in a way that he really wasn't expecting, and how God used Peter and John to bring healing to the lame man. Now, in the context of Scripture, what happens right after that is the crowds gather to see what has happened, and Peter and John started preaching a sermon. Peter talks about Jesus in the temple court. And this really did not thrill the temple leadership. The same temple leadership that had arrested, tried, and crucified Jesus is now hearing that somebody's proclaiming Jesus' name and him as resurrected in the temple courts, so they arrest Peter and John as well. And even as Peter and John are being hauled off to prison, there are 5,000 people who just heard this message that they had preached who end up following Jesus. It's just this sign again of what, what Ash and Heather had talked about last week about this growing favor that the church was finding in the city of Jerusalem. And Peter and John stood trial. If you have some time later, read the account of this court case in Acts chapter 4. It's one of the most astonishing court cases you'll read in Scripture. There's these two fishermen who are standing in front of the educated elite in the city. And, uh, and, and as they defend themselves and defend the, defend the gospel message that they're proclaiming, Acts 4.13 says that when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. Because of the miracle of this lame man now walking, the temple leadership didn't feel that they could say or do anything to Peter and John, so they just threatened them, and they said, don't ever preach about Jesus again. And Peter and John said, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For We're unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. It's incredibly bold. 
the leadership threatened them some more, released them. And then we pick up the reading in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and this is what we read. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said, through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of, your ser of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. I want to point out a couple of observations from the text. First, boldness in mission starts with prayer. Two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron talked about how the miracle started with Peter and John on their way to a prayer meeting. And if you were to start in Acts chapter 1 and go all the way through the book of Acts and just mark all of the times that the church stopped and assembled for prayer, you would find these direct connections between the movement of God and his people in prayer. It happens over and over in the book of Acts. And now, again, as God's people are gathering, they're gathering together in prayer. And it's foolish for us to ever think about boldness and mission without first thinking about seeking the face of God in prayer. The second observation is a good missiology starts with recognition of God's identity. As soon as the apostles were released, they went back to their own people, reported everything that had happened, and then they prayed. And in the opening lines of their prayer, they identify God in several ways. First, they call him master. And the author Luke uses this word only twice in his writings. Once when old Simeon was coming into the temple and saw baby Jesus there, and he cries out to God and says, Master, your servant's eyes have seen this baby, and now, shortened version, now I can die in peace. The apostles use this word master again, and it communicates the complete recognition of the sovereignty of God. Remember what had just happened. They had just been arrested. They had just been seized and imprisoned. They had been taken before the same court that crucified Jesus. Can you imagine? You're being tried by the same people that had just crucified Jesus. They confronted this court. Talk about boldness. They say, hey, you are the people that wrongfully killed Jesus. They're threatened by this court. They're told that they can't speak anymore. Peter and John say, hey, we're going to preach anyway. And then the court releases them based on this miracle that had been performed through the power of God. And when all of that works together, there's not a lot else that you can do except step back and say, wow, God, you are sovereign and you're working in ways we can't imagine. And they sat there and recognized the sovereignty of God, even in their own arresting 
and standing trial. Then they also recognize God as creator. And I find that so incredibly interesting that a part of their boldness in ministry came from their understanding of God as the maker of all things. I've been reading books by the artist and philosopher Makoto Fujimura. He wrote a book called Culture Care that we are reading in our book club as Envision Berlin. And, uh, and, he, and he also wrote a book called Art and Faith. And in his book, Art and Faith, he talks about a theology of making. I'm not going to go too deeply into it, but I think that what Fujimura is wrestling with here is really impactful when it comes to us being bold in our sharing of the gospel. Because often when we talk about the work that God has been doing since creation, we talk about it in four categories. We talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And a really quick summary, this approach sees God as the creator of all, just as the apostles did in the prayer that, that, they had, that we just read. And, and, and I want to be sure to emphasize something when we talk about this idea of creation. Creating is not just something that God does. He is not just the God who creates. In the same way that God is not just love, or in the same way that God does not just love, he is love. God does not just create, he is the creator. That creating is an aspect of the very character and nature of God. It's important. I'll get to that in a second. The next part of that is, is this idea of fall, creation fall. And when mankind sinned, it's often referred, and referred to in theological circles as this fall of man. And this fall of man didn't just impact man. It impacted all of creation. Mankind lost his innocence. Mankind gained the capacity to sin, and it broke our natural relationship with God, and, and it impacted the innocence in our relationship with fellow mankind. And the solution for this problem of sin is redemption. The solution is Jesus. And through Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, we receive forgiveness, and our relationship with God is reconciled, and it truly enables us, perhaps for the first times in our lives, really for the first time in our lives, to follow what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments. Only through redemption can we truly love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and only as redeemed beings can we look at our neighbors as people around us and say, wow, I have the capacity now to love them as I love myself. And this is part of what is meant by the word restoration. And this idea of restoration ties into our reconciled relationship with God, but it also goes further. It goes back to a word that Peter used in chapter 3, where he, at the end of this message in the temple courts, he's talking about the restoration or restitution of all things. And I love the concept of restoration. When my dad was in the Air Force. One of our duty assignments was in England. We were stationed there for three years, and, and mom and dad loved going to auctions. And when, when mom and dad would go to auctions, they always had their eye out for slightly beat-up antique furniture that they could buy really, really cheaply. And they would bid on these lots of furniture and then bring them back to our house, and then dad would start restoring this furniture the long process of stripping off the old varnish and sanding everything down until it's smooth and making sure you're getting broken parts that are missing, ordering them and putting them back on, that restoring these pieces of furniture until they look pristine again. And many of them they held on to. They're still in their house now in, 
in Minnesota. Um, but some of those pieces, they would then begin to sell. They would go to auctions and find pieces for other people, restore them and sell them. Other people would bring them pieces of beat-up furniture, and Dad would restore it. And, and then he started to invite me and teach me how to do that as well. And it's just this amazing thing, isn't it, to take something that's beat up and ugly and restore it so it begins to look new. And I love the idea of God doing that in our lives as well. That he takes stuff that's beat up and not working the way it should and, and he makes us new. But, but really, what God does in our life goes beyond just the idea of restoration. And Fujimura uses the work of other theologians and comes back to this, this list of four and, and suggests that maybe we add something to it. And he says that Yes, there's creation. Yes, there's fall. Yes, there's redemption. But what if instead of just restoration, we said there's also new creation? And he explains that the challenge with viewing God's work as restoration only is that we run into the potential problem of developing a theology of fixing. That everything and everyone around us is broken and that we need to be part of God's work of fixing them. But when Paul describes God's work in our lives, he did not describe us as fixed creations, did he? He wrote, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. And he does describe us as being reconciled to God in that same passage. He talks about us having this ministry of reconciliation. He says that we're ambassadors for Christ, but we're not ambassadors because we're fixed. We're ambassadors because we're new. And this idea of God making all things new is not isolated in this passage in Scripture. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says, communicating this message from God, says, do not remember the past events Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. And this theology of making recognizes that God creates. He created, he is creating, and he will create. Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for us, creating a new space for us. Peter writes, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell and it's really important that we recognize that God's nature as a creator instills us with boldness for gospel ministry because there's an implicit invitation that comes when we recognize aspects of God's nature. When we recognize his sovereignty, for example, there's an implicit invitation that we recognize him as master and we submit to his plan. It's not easy. It's a challenge, but we're invited into that process. And when we recognize God as creator, there's an invitation that's implicit in that for us to join him in the creative work that he's doing in people around us. As we work with artists in Berlin, this is especially important because the work that they do in creating and in making is a reflection of the nature and character of God even before they recognize God as their maker and creator. A lot of the New Testament is comprised of Paul's letters to the churches. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm in no way undermining the church when I say this. But did you know that Jesus mentioned the church only twice in the Gospels? What Jesus talked about more than 122 times 
was the kingdom of God. When God invites us to join him in the work that he's doing, it's important for us to remember that the kingdom he invited the church to be part of through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was not intended to start and stop with what takes place in the walls of this building or in any other church building. He's inviting us to be a part of the establishment of a kingdom that's being created and built by all of his children around the world, and we are joining God as his ambassadors in making something new. The last part of the identity of God that's recognized by the apostles as they pray is they recognize God as a God who speaks. They say, you said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of your servant David, and this belief that God is a God who speaks is vital to their continued prayer. And that leads me to my next observation, which is that joining God boldly recognizes what our job is and what God's job is. The apostles say, And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for signs, healing, wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So as his servants, these believers are gathered for prayer. They recognize God's sovereign plan has been enacted even through Herod and Pontius Pilate and the assembled Gentiles and, and, and the Jewish leadership. And they ask that the same God who spoke through David would now allow them, as his servants, to speak God's message with complete boldness. They recognized that that was their job. And they also recognized what God's job was. I'm so... I, I love being a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance because we're a denomination that still believes that God works miracles. We still believe that God heals. And we believe that it's important for us to remember what our job is and what God's job is. The apostles weren't seeking miracles. They didn't ask God, okay, God, please give us the ability to go and perform miracles. What did they pray? They said, God, give us boldness to speak the message, and then you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus. And the last observation is that the disciples were following a, a bold model of presence. If you go back to the beginning of this two-chapter-long account in the book of Acts, starting with the sermon that Pastor Aaron spoke a couple weeks ago when he was talking about Peter and John on their way to the temple, you might remember that he talked about it being just a part of their normal activity. They were just going about their daily business. There was this man begging for alms, and they saw him. They were present enough in their environment to see this poor, lame man begging for money on the side of the road, and they really saw him. They were present enough to look at him. The Bible tells us that Peter and John looked at him intently. Where do you think they learned this ministry of presence from? I believe they saw Jesus model this ministry of presence over and over again in his three years of ministry on earth. Jesus' whole ministry, his whole life was a ministry of presence. John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When the sovereign God, the creator of all, chose to come to earth, he didn't come into a royal office. He didn't come as a conqueror. He came and was fully human. He was born into a relatively poor family to a minority people in an occupied country. 
He had a childhood. He was a young adult. He learned a trade. If our tradition of Jesus being 30 years old at the time he started ministry is accurate, it meant he spent 10 times longer developing than he did in ministry. Isn't that astonishing? He was fully present in the world to which he came. And God is calling us to be fully present as well. When we're present, we can see the needs of the people around us. When we're present and filled with the Holy Spirit, we can look at the needs around us intently and know how God is responding and calling us to act. And when we're present and filled with the Holy Spirit and pray that God gives us boldness, God can speak through us and we can see him do amazing things. Where does that boldness take us? When God begins to fill us with boldness, where do we go with that boldness? And I think to really understand the answer to that question, you have to go back to the theme verse of the book of Acts. You have to go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, going back to the message from last week, where does that boldness start? It starts exactly where we are. It starts by just lifting our eyes up and looking around and seeing the opportunities that God has put all around us. Gospel boldness starts in our Jerusalem. But in God's amazing plan, that gospel boldness also sends people in co-eccentric circles out to our Judea, that place next door outside of where we are all the time, that Samaria, working with those people that maybe we don't always want to work with, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. One of the reasons I love the Alliance is that we are an Acts 1-8 family, which means that this ministry that you guys are being a part of here is a ministry that we can say, I'm so glad that our family is working here. And the ministry that we're a part of in Berlin is something that you guys can say, I'm so glad that our family has a ministry taking place in Berlin. But for these ministries to continue, some things need to keep happening, whether that's for here or for there. And what, what, what that means is that, is that we have to be willing to follow God's call into the ministries that he's calling us into. We have to pray for boldness and really expect that God will give us that boldness. And for me, that boldness often comes in, in, in boldness in prayer. That as you pray for what God is doing here, that you pray for that boldly. As you pray for opportunities to share your faith, that you pray for for faith to do that boldly as you pray for the work that other sister ministries in the state of Pennsylvania are doing, that you pray for that ministry boldly as you pray for people that are outside of people you would normally call our own people, that you pray that that ministry takes place boldly and that when you pray for us in Berlin, that you pray for that boldly. It, it also means, though, that, that as you're giving, you're giving for the ministry of this church and the ministry of the Great Commission Fund boldly, anticipating that God is going to use the resources that we put at his disposal to do things greater than we can ask or imagine. It, it also means that, that you go boldly, 
That, it, that in the way you use your time in a given week, that you begin to allocate pieces of time boldly to talk with your neighbors, that you begin to allocate chunks of time boldly to be involved with the ministry of the church, that you begin to pray and ask God boldly, what does it mean, God, if you want me to go overseas? What does it mean if you are sending me? And that's maybe the next thing that we as a church need to do boldly, and that is being willing to send boldly. Because it seems to me in my experience with churches over the years that God often sends the people that we want to hold on to the most. That the people that we'd love to have involved in our life, involved in our ministries as close to us as possible, that God often is tapping them on the shoulders and saying, I want you to go. And for them to be able to go boldly, we as churches need to be able to send them boldly. And so in a minute, I'm going to pray and, and ask that God fills us with gospel boldness. And um, invite the choir and the worship team to come up. There's also uh, a QR code. If you would like to pray for us, if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can scan that in and fill out the little Google form that will give us your email address. There's also, for those of you who are a little more analog like my wife and you want nothing to do with QR codes and online forms, there's a, a pen and paper in the back and you can sign up for our prayer list there. Let me pray. God, you are, you are our master, and, and we're your servants. And recognizing you as, as master puts us in a, in a pretty humble position. And, and Lord, we want to we, we take that position and, and recognize that you are, you are God, and Lord, and sovereign of all. We also want to come to you as, as creator. That the God who created everything around us, the God who created us, still in the, in, in the activity of creating as you knit each person together in their mother's womb, and you're the God who is creating, and Lord, if there's a way that we can join you in your creative works, Father, we want to be used by you, and you're the God who speaks. When we read the Bible, we recognize how you spoke through your servants and lord because you're the master and creator you know what's going on in the people around us and, and you're speaking today and, and lord we want to ask that you give us boldness to speak the words that you give us that we can be present in the relationships that we're placed in that we can enter into conversations with them that we can boldly speak about you and Father, we pray that your ministry continues, not just here, but also in our Judea Samarias and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Father, do your work, the work that only you can do, and allow us to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mike. Check, check. There we go. Um, I want to take this opportunity... Um, before we close out with one more song uh, to ask Mike if there's some one thing when we're talking about praying and the importance of that is there, is there something that we as a church family can be praying for you yeah one of the um, the basis of our ministry in in Berlin is is building relationships with people and entering into relationships with them Berlin is it's been called by by even German journalists the capital city of loneliness and uh, and COVID really didn't help that 
People are even more isolated and alone. And as, as we try to have events at our ministry space that we, we've started with Envision Berlin or invite friends to dinner or begin to build relationships with people in our community, kind of breaking down that loneliness wall and that relationship wall is a long process. And so one of the things you can, you can pray is, is uh, I, I think a lot of us are, are microwave type of people. We want the ministries to happen in microwave speed and God is sometimes more of a crockpot God. And... And so things cook a lot slower, and uh, that God would give us patience as those relationships develop. But it, it also wouldn't hurt if, if there was maybe a little pressure cooking taking place. And even inside that, I mean, maybe an Instapot God would be a good place to meet him in the middle. If he can help us do some Instapot relationships in Berlin, that would be great. Awesome. Well, let's pray for that. <laughs> All right. And if you want to uh, just stretch out a hand of blessing and join us here in that way, we encourage you to do that. So, Jesus, we come before you just recognizing your sovereignty over all things. God, the way that you um, connect us through your spirit, that, as, as Mike was saying, that this is family, you know, for even it's the first time we met just to, in Christ that, that uh, there is a, a, just a, a brotherhood or, a, um, you know, just a siblingship among those who call you Lord and Savior. And so, God, our hearts... Um, just go out to Mike and to Alyssa and to their family and to the, the, the team that's with them uh, in Germany, God, that, that your spirit would continue to just bring refreshment to them, that your spirit would um, continually, just that they would continually be filled by your spirit mm. for the work that you have called them to do there. God, our hearts join with his as, as you know, we've experienced here in the States, just that, that, that sense of loneliness and that sense of, you know, disconnection. And God, I can't imagine, you know, when they're calling the city the loneliest, you know, epidemic of loneliness or just the pain and the, the suffering. But Jesus, just as you were, um, said you like I mentioned earlier, called to, to bind up the brokenhearted, that you would do that in and through the ministry of Mike and his family and their team. God, that your spirit would go out before them and uh, that there would be just people of peace that they would connect with, that there would be this, you know, that when you meet someone, there's that instant connection of, oh, I, I like you, or oh, we get, we, oh, that that instant connection would be there in some of some folks that they're, as they're making and building new relationships. And God, I pray that, that, that as they encounter uh, Germans and over there, that, that, or Syrian refugees or whoever comes their way, that, that there would be something different about them and about their team that, that would draw people just deeper into relationship. And, and Jesus, we know that's you, your spirit, that you're drawing all people uh, to yourself as we lift up Jesus, we lift up the name of Jesus. So that would, that as they do that over there, as they lift up the name of Jesus, as they worship you, that, that then people would be drawn in and that there would be a sense of just a, a deepening of relationships that, that can only be explained because of, of you. So God, I pray just an encouragement, a blessing uh, over, over them and over their ministry, over the work of their hands. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Mike. If you guys can mm. just thank him for coming and just praising God for the work.